Okay, let's, uh, we're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 4, and, and this is something that I was reminded of uh, just recently and, and thought it would be a good challenge for you here this morning. David says in 1 Chronicles 29 in verse number 12, you don't need to turn there, let me read it for you. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all, and in thy hand is power and might. And in thy hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Added to that verse would be Psalm 34, 15, which says, The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry. If God's eyes and ears are, are tuned into the righteous, and both riches and honor come of him, and he reigns, and it is, his hand is power and might, and in his hand it is to make great and to give strength to all, that means that you and I, if we're to be successful, we not only need to be children of God, but we need to be individuals that are looking to God to empower us. And the tendency can be at NBBI or at any venue or avenue of service or ministry for you and I to operate and to do the right things and to be involved in the right kind of ministry but to be doing it in our own strength, in our own way. And I want to challenge you to think about not only what are you involved in or what are you doing for the Lord, because I'm sure all of you are actively busy when you think of your studies and you think of the things that that by God's grace and in, in the will of God you're going to be involved in. There's a lot of exciting things, and we're thankful for the vision that you have and the desire that you have to serve the Lord. But I I want to talk about not simply the things that you're going to be involved in, but the power in which you are going to choose to operate in those contexts. Are you going to go to, let's say, for your practical Christian service, you're involved in a a youth group or a children's program, or some of you I know are going to a Holton Jail, some of you are involved in, uh, in nursing home ministry, all kinds of different ministries that you're involved in. The tendency for us is to say, hey, I know what I'm doing, I know how to do it. And in particular, when you get comfortable in that setting, to say it's just the same old, same old. And we go and we operate in the context of that ministry, but we don't do it with the operation of God's power within us. You see, this is what the verse is talking about. It says, in His hand, that is in God's hand, is is power and might. It is in His hand to make you great and to give strength to all of you. So we turn to 1 Samuel chapter 4. We know that these were difficult days. They were days in which God's people had become more disobedient. The nation of Israel had harbored actions and attitudes of rebellion against God. Jeremiah gives a word from God telling them that if, if they repent, then Jeremiah says that God will forgive you But if you do not, then God will chastise you. And how did they respond to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 26, 8? They said to the prophet that said, if you repent, God will forgive you. They said to him, you shall surely die. Not an encouraging response if you are a servant of God. 
And so Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 26.6, because the nation of Israel would not respond to the counsel of God, would not repent, would not turn from their sin, would not serve God wholeheartedly, then Jeremiah says in chapter 26, verse 6, then I will make this house like Shiloh. And that's where we are here today in Shiloh. Did you know that Shiloh was the location of the tabernacle. It was the location of the Ark of the Covenant before it it gained its permanent dwelling place in Jerusalem. Shiloh was an important place. In fact, we look in the New Testament and we see Jerusalem as the hub, the center of of religious activity. But in 1 Samuel chapter 4, it was Shiloh. Shiloh was the Jerusalem. Shiloh was the place where the presence of God was. And as we look at this passage, and in particular, we look at the days of Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 3, the Word of God was precious in those days. It was scarce. There was no open revelation, no open vision. In other words, that, that it's not that God didn't have somebody, or excuse me, it's not that God did not have something to say, it's that God couldn't find someone to say it to And you're in a sad place in any society when God wants to speak, but he's just lacking an audience. He's lacking somebody that that will tune their ear to him so they can listen to him. And Samuel is one of those men. And so as we look at Samuel, we look at the nation of Israel, and they're doing what they did so many times before. They're at war with the Philistines. Now we know the story of David and Goliath. And here the Philistines are in battle with the nation of Israel. It says in verse number 1, and they pitched, the end of the verse, they pitched beside Ebenezer and the Philistines pitched in Aphek. The Philistines put themselves in array against Israel and when they joined in battle, Israel was smitten before the Philistines. And they slew of the army in that field about 4,000 men. Now imagine this, the, the Philistines and the nation of Israel are, are at war. And the nation of Israel, like many of us, may be telling themselves, we're the people of God. We're standing for the truth of God, even though they weren't in their hearts. But we're God's people. We, we have the covenants. We have the promises. We have the glory of God. We're on the right side. And yet they go into battle and they walk away defeated. It's a remarkable thing. Because I come across people often that appear and act and would suggest to you that, hey, I'm, I'm trying to do what's right before God, and yet I'm failing. It's not working out. And it says in verse number 21 of 1 Samuel chapter 3, The Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel. In Shiloh. Well, here's the people of Israel. They're defeated. They are they're, they're frustrated. They're discouraged because the children of Israel were not winning the battle of the day. They weren't succeeding in fighting off the Philistines. And it says in verse number 3 of 1 Samuel chapter 4, And when the people were come into the camp, The elders of Israel said, Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? 
What's going on here? They're, they're doing an inventory. They're doing what any good Baptist would do for sure. Anytime uh, you are involved in a ministry, what the Baptists are accused of more than anything is we've got more committees than anybody else. Right? What do we do? We need this. Let's form a committee. <laughs> and uh, when I pastored, um, the first church that I pastored, they had about s- seven committees and I'm looking one day over these committees that had been voted on, and, and I said to, to the chairman of the board, I said, these committees aren't even in operation. Nobody's even heading up these committees. He goes, well, that's because at one point we had need for them, and so we voted this committee in, and, and, uh, and you know, that's what Baptists do. We vote committees in. And uh, we got lots of them for everything. And the nation of Israel, they, they were, that's probably why I, th- I think maybe they had some Baptist blood in them somewhere. Because the first thing they did when they were defeated is they said, let's get a committee together. And they got all of the religious leaders and the political leaders and the military leaders. And they got them together. Now remember, they're getting a religious leaders together. And who is not involved in this meeting? Samuel. Don't you find it strange that when you're having a meeting where the main question of the meeting, the seminar, the question in the seminar is why has God smitten us? That's the main focus. That's the theme. That's the question. Why has God smitten us? And the very person that God is speaking to, Samuel, he's not invited to the meeting. That doesn't make any sense. Be like us on our campus saying, tomorrow in the chapel we are going to hold a session on how to cook a meal for 200 guests and we're not going to invite Mr. Kent. Right? That would be silly. It would be stupid. You say, he, he, he'd be the guy for sure that you would want here because he, he just did it, right? He, and he's done it over and over again. You're, I'm not the guy you want in that meeting. Trust me, because it's craft dinner. And even then, if I'm cooking it for 250 people, that's going to be a soggy craft dinner at best. And so these people are gathering together, and, and, and they've, they've lost, and they're defeated. And probably some of the questions they're asking themselves is, how in the world did this happen? How did we lose 4,000 men? Are we not fighting for God? Are we not involved in the right cause? And they're defeated. And so they said, Where, wherefore has the Lord smitten us? And, and, and they're, they're having this, this discussion, this committee meeting, and they're trying to figure out what's going on here. And because Samuel's not there, and I, I think they didn't invite Samuel because they probably knew what the answer would be. Samuel would have probably repeated the same thing that it says in Judges 13.1, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. You see, God said, if you don't follow me, if you don't do what I want you to do, then you're going to be prone to be defeated by the enemy. So let's, let's jump ahead and look at what the nation of Israel did. You see, the question and the thing that I want you to think about here this morning is not so much are you going to go with God and be involved in the service of God and be involved in in doing great things for God. The question is, are you going to let God go with you? We, We can be involved in ministry. We can be involved in doing things for God and we can leave God out of the picture. 
You can prepare a lesson and you could go to a youth group and you could be doing the right thing. You're serving God. You're ministering to these young people. And yet God's knocking at the door saying, okay, it's great that you want to do this. It's great that you're involved in this, but why are you leaving me out of this process? And probably if there's one thing that people that are involved in Christian service can be guilty of more than anything else, it is not that they're not busy. It's not that they're not attempting things for God. It's that in the process, they're not inviting God to become a part of it. Because remember what it says. God is the one that gives power and strength, that makes great. And listen to what the nation of Israel did. It says in verse number 3, they said, Let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it comes among us, it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. The answer to the dilemma, the answer or the outcome of the meeting that they had, the committee meeting as to why God was smiting them. Here's what they decided. We need the ark. What was the ark? What did it symbolize? symbolizes the presence of God. The Ark of the Covenant was the symbol of God's presence. So here, here is a, a, a people that are demonstrating their ignorance and their carnality by saying, not falling on their knees and saying, God, we need you in this process. We need you to help us to defeat the enemy. We need you to, to give us success as we battle. Instead, they said, let's get the piece of furniture. Let's take the Ark of the Covenant And let's bring it in the midst of us so that it can save us. What is troubling about that? What is troubling about that is a couple of things. Number one, when you look at verse number three, it says, Let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it cometh among us, it may save us out of the hand of our enemy. Even when they brought the ark in their midst, here's what they said. We want it to save us. What were they looking at for salvation? Surely we're not going to make the assumption that they're calling God it. We don't don't come to God and and refer to God as as an it. But they said, "Let, let it come in among us that it may save us. So even in their response even in what they were declaring and, and suggesting to happen. They weren't, they weren't relying on the presence of God. They said, let's take the symbol of God's presence and let's bring it in among us that it may save us. That's no different than what re- people in religion do today. They look to, to religious articles or, 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 or things that, that they feel somehow are going to gain them favor with God. But the first thing, as we, as we look at them bringing the ark into the midst of them, it says it's going to save us out of the hand of our enemies. And verse number 4, So the people went, or they sent to Shiloh, that they might bring from thence the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, which dwells between the cherubim and the two sons, Eli, Hophni, and, the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. Verse 5, when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted with a great joy so that the earth rang again. So they've been defeated in battle. There's two problems. Number one, they said, let's bring the ark in our midst that it may save us. Second of all, the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the Bible says that they are there with the ark of the covenant of God. And yet, 
after that statement is made in verse 4, it says in verse 5, when the Ark of the Lord, or the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, we do not find any verses in which we find that these supposed men of God tried to stop these pagan people from taking the symbol of God's presence into the midst of a carnal battle. They never tried to stop it. And, and, and so here they are. What did these people need more than anything else? They needed not simply to be involved in a battle on God's behalf. They had forgotten. They had forgotten about the presence of God. They were involved in battling and they lost the battle and they said, what in the world is going on? And instead of having spiritual discernment to say to themselves, you know what? We need to fall on our faces before God and we need to say, Lord, if we're to win the day, if we're to win the battle, if we're to be a success for you, then we need your presence in our lives. Like never before. But they didn't do that. They said, let's let's get the ark. And it says in verse number 5, when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all of Israel shouted with a great joy so that the earth rang and the Philistines heard the noise of the shout and they said, what mean meaneth the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews? And they understood the ark of the Lord was come into the camp and the Philistines were afraid. For they said, listen to what they said in verse 7, God is come into the camp. Had God come into the camp? No. You see, what had already happened that the nation of Israel didn't realize in 1 Samuel chapter 4, the presence of God, the Shekinah glory of God had already left Shiloh. It had already left Shiloh. God's presence wasn't even there. They had the symbol of God's presence, but they did not have the power of God's presence. It had already left. And so they go and they get the Ark of the Covenant, which is just, apart from the presence of God, it's a piece of furniture. That's all it is. And they bring it into the camp, and the nation of the Philistines said, hey, God is coming to the camp. Now, that's a pagan response. We would expect pagan people that do not have a right concept of God to associate that this article of furniture is God, because that would have not been any different than how the Philistines operated. So the tragedy is not that the Philistines assumed this was God. The tragedy was that the nation of Israel assumed it was God. And it said, they said, Woe unto us, for there hath not been such a thing heretofore. Woe unto us, who shall deliver us out of the hand of those or these mighty gods? And they went and the Philistines decided to fight. And it says in verse 10, the Philistines fought and Israel was smitten and they fled every man to his tent. And there was a great slaughter for there fell of, the, of Israel 30,000 men. Two battles. First battle, they lost 4,000 men. Next battle, they lost 30,000 men. 34,000 men in these two battles lost their lives even with the Ark of the Covenant in their midst. Why? There's a couple of things, first of all, that I want to suggest to you, and then we're going to go back, as I said, to Exodus 33. But let me suggest this to you. When we choose to operate in the context of our own flesh and our own strength, 
the enemy will always gain the advantage. If there's anything we learn from 1 Samuel chapter 4, it's that you can be doing the right thing. Fighting against the Philistines, fighting the enemy. It wasn't a wrong thing for the nation of Israel to fight the enemy, but to do it in the operation and the power of their own flesh. That's where they went wrong. That's where the train went off the tracks. And these people operated in the flesh without God's presence. And the enemy is always going to gain the advantage. That's true with you. As you serve the Lord in this year, in whatever context, in whatever capacities God places in your path, you have the choice to either do it with the presence of God and His power operating in your life or to do it on your own. And if you do it on your own, you can be doing all the right things, but the enemy will still be gaining the advantage in your life. But here's the next, next thing. When we do it in our own flesh, you know what else happens according to 1 Samuel chapter 4? When, it, when, we, when we're defeated, which we will be defeated, we will always blame our defeats upon God. Look at what they said in 1 Samuel chapter 4 and verse number 3. Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today? One of my favorite verses in Proverbs is Proverbs 19 and verse 3 because it is so true of man. And here's what it says. The foolishness of man perverteth his way and then his heart frets against the Lord. In other words, you make bad decisions and then you're probably going to blame it on God. That's what the verse says. In fact, if we summarize it, we might say that people ruin their own lives by their own foolishness and then they get angry with God. That's what Proverbs 19.3 says. That's exactly what the nation of Israel did. But here's what happens and here's probably the most important one of all. When we operate without God's presence in our life, even doing proper things, even doing right things, we will not only allow the enemy to gain the advantage, we will not only blame our defeats upon God, but we will continue to make unwise decisions. The nation of Israel here were defeated, and instead of making things right with God, what did they do? They just perpetuated the unwise choices that they had already made, and they decided to bring the ark into the situation. I want you to turn to Exodus chapter 33. Because what I want you to see is the prayer of Moses, the desire of Moses, which should be the same prayer and desire of our hearts as we think of, of what happened with the nation of Israel. They, they were doing the right thing, but they didn't have God's presence in their life. And here is Moses speaking in Exodus 33 in verse 12. And Moses said unto the Lord... See, thou sayest unto me, bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now here's what, Mo, now what, here's what it says. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me thy way. Now here's where it gets interesting. Moses said, Lord... You want me to go and you want me to take this people and you want me to move forward in this ministry for you and you want me to be a success for you and a leader for you and a godly man for you. And he says, listen, you need to show me your way. But then he says in verse 13 that I may, what? Know thee. That I might know thee. 
that I might find grace in thy sight and consider that this nation is thy people. And then he says in verse 14, and he said, my presence shall go with thee and I will give thee rest. And then Moses says in verse 15, if thy presence goes not with me, carry us not up hence. You know what we learned from Moses here? We learned that Moses was not simply interested in doing the right things for God. Moses was not simply interested that he was going to be the leader that was going to take the nation of Israel and lead them out of captivity and lead them into the promised land. Moses said, Lord, I know that. I know you've called me to do that. But then he says, if your presence doesn't go with me, I don't even want to start the process. Unfortunately, there are many many Christians today that would be content to be a Moses that said, Lord, what a, I'm glad you called me to do this. And off to the races they'd go and they'd head out on this adventure of serving God and they'd leave God behind. But Moses says, no, no. I know the journey that you want me to take, but God, what I need from you is I need you to assure me that you are going to be there every step of the way. And how much ministry have you been involved in at this point in your life? And certainly I can say I've been involved in ministry in which I can look in hindsight and look back and say, I don't think I invited God to be a part of that. I I think I did the right thing and I think I was involved in the right thing and yet I never invited God to journey with me. Because if God's power is not the main operation in your life, then whatever you do for God without Him is going to result in the same thing that the nation of Israel did when they battled the Philistines. It's going to lead to defeat. And so my challenge to you is to think, when, you, when, you're, when you're serving the Lord, when you are getting involved to go to your practical work, whatever it is that you're doing, It's not simply enough that you're willing to go to that place and do that for God. What you need to say is, Lord, I I want you to accompany me and to empower me and to make me effective for you. I'm not simply interested in just going through the motions and the actions of serving you, but I want your power and your presence to guide me and to make make me successful for you. We're going to stop there because that was the bell. Tomorrow, like I said, we're going to be listening to a message. I won't tell you what it is yet. I'll let you be surprised. So, all right. So let's, um, let's pray together and then you can be dismissed. Father, thank you, Lord, for your work in our lives. And Lord, I, I think that if we really knew the times that we have operated in our service for you without your strength and your power and your presence guiding us, leading us, filling us. I think if we were to know the amount of times we've done that, it would probably scare us. And so, Lord, help us to realize that it's possible to be doing the right things. It's possible to be involved in the right ministry. It's possible to be doing what we ought to be doing. And yet, like the church in Revelation, you're standing at the door and you're knocking. And, and this is not unsaved people that you're knocking for. This is the life of the believer. You're knocking and you're saying, hello, I'm on the outside. I want, 
to be a part of this. So Lord, help us to invite you in to the work that we do for you. Only then can it truly be effective and powerful and meaningful. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.